The following is a message by Dr. David Van Drunen from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this recording or Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at westcal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call 760-480-8474. I'll be speaking this morning from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 15. 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 15. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, But with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother." Well, Paul, in uh, this section of 2 Thessalonians, uh, warns us against idleness, against laziness, and encourages us to work hard. Undoubtedly, this sort of exhortation will strike others, uh, different numbers of us in different sorts of ways. There are some of us who may not have a whole lot of problem working hard. In fact, we may work so hard that we neglect other important things in life. There are others of us who have real struggle in disciplining ourselves to do the work that's set before us and to avoid the temptation of laziness and idleness. It may be at this sort, this time of the year, for those of you who are students, uh, that the exhortations to laziness or against laziness or idleness um, perhaps ring a special chord for you. Uh, perhaps you look over the last couple of months and you regret times that you have spent in idleness as you think about all that still lies before you over these next few weeks. Perhaps you're even thinking about your fellow students in the library right now who are, perhaps you wonder, fulfilling the commands of this epistle better than you are as you sit here. But we'll leave that aside. Don't leave. You're here now. Paul exhorts the Thessalonian church and exhorts us to avoid idleness and to do the work that is set before us. Paul is obviously very concerned about this. It is obviously an important thing for Paul. This is not an especially long epistle, and yet he spends a fairly good deal of time making this exhortation to the church. Why is it? Well, certainly idleness must have been a real problem in the Thessalonian church. He had heard rumors. Uh, It was reported to him. Uh, that there were those who were not working as they should, not busy at their work, but being busy bodies. Why would this have been a problem for the Thessalonians? 
In a sense, we can only speculate on this question. Uh, We do want to read this text in the context of the larger epistle. Uh, Certainly, Paul is concerned to address the Thessalonians in the context of the persecutions that they are undergoing. Uh, It's very clear from earlier in 2 Thessalonians that they are a persecuted church, that they are suffering. Perhaps it is that those who are suffering are experiencing the confiscation of their property. Certainly the recipients to the epistle of the Hebrews experience that. We're told that explicitly. If that's the case, we could understand perhaps hard work uh, would be looked at with a little bit less incentive. If you think things are going to get taken away from you, why bother working hard? We also know that the Thessalonians were thinking a lot about the coming of Christ, uh, feeling that eschatological tension and the eschatological urgency in a way that many of us do not, although we probably should. Both First and Second Thessalonians offer a good deal of explicit eschatological discussion, discussion of the second coming of Christ and what that would involve. Perhaps for people who were expecting imminently the second coming of Christ, or in this epistle, some who thought that perhaps Christ had already come would not feel an especial urgency to be working hard at their mundane earthly tasks. We can't say for sure what it was that was driving the Thessalonians to idleness. But we do want to look especially at at this text, at what Paul says and how he exhorts these people, these Christians, uh, to be working hard and to avoid idleness. The commands about idleness and hard work uh, come especially in between verses 6 and 12. And one thing that's interesting in both verse 6 and verse 12, is that Paul grounds this exhortation to hard work and to the avoidance of idleness in our union with Jesus Christ. Notice in verse 6, And we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness. And then in verse 12, Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. So Paul, in a sort of a a bookend fashion here, um, begins and ends this exhortation by calling to mind their union with Jesus Christ and calling these brothers to be working hard in light of the fact that they are in Christ and receiving these commands in Christ. Paul certainly could have grounded this in other things. He could have appealed to their bearing the image of God. We could go to uh, Genesis 1 and find the context of being created in in God's image and being given work to do. That would have been a fair way to ground the exhortation. Yet Paul goes this direction, uh, recalling their union with Christ. Why would he go in this direction? Well, let me suggest that his appeal to union with Christ here in verses 6 and 12 is very much related with what he does in between particularly in verses 7 through 9, when he calls the people to imitate himself. Let me read again verses 7 through 9. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day, and we, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. 
Now, this might be seemed at first glance to work at something of cross-purposes. Here, Paul calls to mind our union with Jesus Christ, and then he immediately turns and said, now, follow my example. Uh, act as I have been acting. And if we're not sensitive to the way that Paul is speaking here and the kind of reasoning that Paul is, is using, we might mistake this as something of an act of arrogance on Paul's part. Just do what I do. Follow my example. I set before you the kind of conduct that you ought to uh, imitate. How is it that Paul here, as well as what he does in a number of other places throughout his epistles, commands the people to imitate himself? Well, I don't think we can understand this call to imitate Paul unless we understand it in the context of his apostolic ministry and his apostolic office. This is not just like one Christian going to another Christian and saying, hey, do what I do. Follow my example, which very quickly and very easily could be seen and perhaps rightly interpreted as an arrogant sort of, of exhortation. No, Paul comes before the Thessalonians as he, come, as he came before all of the other churches before whom he ministered, not on his own authority, and not simply as a minister of Jesus Christ, even though that carries along with it in authority. But he comes as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And in, and in that apostle, in that apostolic office, he has a sort of authority uh, that enables him to give this sort of command to imitate himself without shame, without embarrassment, and hopefully without the mistaken assumption that this is some sort of arrogance or pride on his part. For you see, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, he came to the people as the representative of Jesus Christ to speak the words of Jesus Christ, the inspired words, so that the words that he spoke were the words of Jesus Christ. He came even to be received as if he were Jesus Christ among them. You may recall Galatians 4, when Paul says to the Galatians, that you, you received me as if I was Christ Jesus himself. And he's not rebuking them for that. That's a positive thing. They have received him for who he is, an apostle of Jesus Christ, one who has an office uh, which is uni was unique uh, to those uh, uh, chosen uh, disciples uh, of Jesus Christ uh, in that first century church. It's in the light of his apostolic office that we can understand verse 6. He refers to himself, uh, uh, refers to those who do not live in accord with the tradition that you received from us. As an apostle, he has the authority to pass on a tradition which must be held by the people. That's not a defense for a Roman Catholic understanding of tradition. This doesn't justify just any minister or any elder or any Christian handing on an authoritative tradition. As an apostle of Jesus Christ, he hands over what must be received and what must be obeyed. As one who comes standing in the place of Jesus Christ, he can offer himself and his ministry as an example to follow because they are to see in his ministry and in him the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, how did Paul conduct himself in his apostolic ministry as he came to the Thessalonians? 
Well, he was not idle when he came among them. He didn't eat anyone's bread, except he paid for it. Uh, it was toil and labor. He worked night and day so that he would not be a burden uh, towards them. Now, as Paul explains here, it's not as if he didn't have a right to receive things from them. As one who was commissioned by Christ to minister the gospel, as he explains elsewhere, he had the right to receive his living from the gospel, to receive food, to receive payment. And yet, though we would ordinarily think this is a good thing for ministers to do, we don't ordinarily want ministers of the gospel to be spending their time in secular employments, earning a living. We want them to dedicate themselves to the ministry of the word and prayer. And yet Paul makes himself an exception. He is willing to work both day and night, to toil and labor especially hard so he can provide for himself, so that he sets up no obstacle for the gospel. So concerned is he about being a burden to these people, so concerned about setting anything in the way that might hinder the advance of the gospel among the Thessalonian uh, believers that he sets aside this right that he could claim for the sake of these people. He was not idle. He was not lazy. He worked especially hard. Why? For the sake of the gospel. For the sake of bringing that message that Christ had entrusted to him. And as the people saw him conduct himself in this way, they were to see a glimpse of the Lord Jesus Christ in the apostle, and in his conduct, they see Christ. You might think about our Lord Jesus Christ. Here is one who had every right to receive everything from the people to whom he came. Here is one who Philippians 2 tells us was in very nature God, and yet he didn't consider that equality with God something to be grasped at, something to be claimed as a right to be enjoyed. Though the cattle on a thousand hills belong to him as the true and eternal God, he came not to be served, but to serve. He came not to receive gifts from men, but to give gifts to us. He came not to receive the wealth of this world, but to give himself up for us. On the night in which he was betrayed, you remember he wrapped himself in a towel, and the Lord of the universe, the creator of all things, washed the stinking feet of his disciples to show them that they were not to regard themselves as lords and masters, but as servants. Of course, as humiliating as that would have been, it was nothing like what he experienced the very next day when he gave himself up, gave his very life over to his enemies to suffer the torment of the cross in order that we might be saved. Surely, our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom we have been united by faith, was not one who came seeking to get things from others, was not one who was idle or lazy, but one who came to work, came to work hard, came to consider it more blessed to give than to receive. If this is the kind of Lord that we serve, if this is the Savior to whom we have been united, how ought we to conduct ourselves as we live here in these last days? Should we be those 
who forsake the work that has been set before us. Happier to receive the handouts, the benevolence, the mercy of others, rather than to be able to contribute to the needs and the good of others. As we have been entrusted with the work of study, the work of preparation, of preaching and teaching and ministering God's word to this world, shall we be idle? Shall we be lazy? When these tasks are set before us, not only for our personal enrichment, but so that we might be properly equipped to be going forth and using these things for the good of the church, to know that the time that we dedicate to studying well, to learning the material set before us, is to be used by God for the equipment and the enrichment and the blessing of the saints of God for years, for decades, we hope, to come. So, brothers and sisters, as we consider these words from Paul, remember the example that the Apostle set for us, not on his own authority, but as the authority, on the authority of Jesus Christ, whose Apostle he was. Let us consider our Lord. Let us consider his attitude. Let us consider how eager he was to work for us, how eager he was not to receive but to give. And may our attitude as those who are united with him be one of hard work, be one of generosity, be one of liberality. May we too consider it more blessed to give than to receive. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And how humbled we are to think that the Lord of all creation would come in the form of a servant. That he would empty himself, that he would humble himself. That he would wash the feet of his disciples. That he would toil day and night. That he would even give himself up over for us dying the cursed death of the cross. O oh Lord, when we see our Lord Jesus Christ and how he worked for us, thinking not of his own gain, but of ours, may we too have that mind in us which is in Christ Jesus. May we take up with eagerness the tasks that have been set before us, as you give us material resources and opportunities to earn material goods, O oh Lord, may we be diligent in this. May it not be our God, but may we be diligent, not for our own gain, but so that we might be generous with others. As you give us opportunity to study, to learn the riches of your word, to be equipped for the work of service in your church, may we be diligent and eager, not for our own good, but so that we might be of ever greater service to others, to the building up of the church, and for the glory of your name. Give us diligent hearts. Give us a detestation of idleness, of laziness, and may we rejoice in the work that you have set before us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Westminster Seminary, California. 
For more information about this recording or Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at westcal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call 760-480-8474.